What up, though? Welcome to the Fat Boy MMA Podcast, where we talk about everything combat sports, but mainly MMA. If you want to hear a couple regular MMA fans talk about MMA history, notable fighters, up-and-coming fighters, and everything in between, then this is the podcast for you. Now, I should warn you, we're not professionals, but we are big fans of combat sports. Now, if that sits good with you, grab a beverage, sit back, relax, and let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fat Boy MMA Podcast. I am your host, DC. And of course, I got my co-host here with me, Lot. Hey, what's up, y'all? So, today, we actually have an episode for our Fallen Goat series. And this person is one of the most, I don't know, I'm, I'm more excited to do this one than, you know, almost any others. And if you listen to our I think it was the last episode, maybe the one before that, where we talked about uh, the men's uh, pound for pound division. Uh, You'll know how much I uh, revere this individual that we're about to talk about. So um, the person we'll be diving into is going to be DJ Demetrius Johnson, Mighty Mouse. Um, And, you know... I really don't even feel like he should be on a Fallen Goat series, but, you know, uh, we'll talk about kind of the why. So before I dive into the usual, giving some of those upfront accolades, I want to pass it over to you for anything that you might want to say up front or say before I kind of dive in. So I am also a big DJ fan. Or did we say him? Yep. Yep. I did. Okay. Um, but you know, I'm a big DJ fan and I also agree that of all the fallen goats we've covered so far, he's the one that we could still debate is not a fallen goat is still in fact a goat. We'll get into it, you know, one way or the other. And I know Mm -hmm. you have strong opinions and it's weird that we debate when we pretty much agree. I just don't agree (laughs) as strongly as you do. But definitely a guy that could still easily be in the consideration uh, for the GOAT if it's not for, you know, a bounce here, a bounce there, a little marketing here, a little marketing there, and we could be talking yeah. a whole a whole different story. No, I definitely agree, and I think marketing is always a big part of it. Um, so let me dive into some of his accolades and everything like that. Um, so DJ is currently 30 and 4. As far as MMA record, he is uh, right now he's over at uh, one championships, but everybody knows him from the UFC where he was the long time, the first and long time reigning flyweight champion. Um, He is number one in the UFC and um, he's number one in the UFC as far as title defenses with 11. uh, I'm sorry, consecutive title defenses with 11. He's actually tied with John Jones for title defenses, period. Uh, but, of course, we know John Jones takes little breaks. <laughs> you <laughs> know, take a little suspension force. here, uh, <laughs> lose the belt for a fight or two there, without actually little, ever even losing. It's ridiculous. Little Pico here, little Pico there. <laughs> you couldn't but, get... You couldn't get two more different individuals in yes. every way. Like across the board, and then I agree. DJ and John Jones. 
Yeah, I totally agree. And it's funny that both of them are up there, you know, tied in that place. But um, as far as significant fighters that he's beat, uh, names that people would know, Ian McCall, Joseph Benavidez twice, John Donson twice, Henry Cejudo, I want to say twice, but that's a whole nother story, Tim Elliott and Wilson Reyes. Um, As far as awards, you know, he's won almost every award, (laughs) but uh, starting back in 2013 was when he won his first uh, Fighter of the Year um, award. He he won that in in both Fight Matrix and FoxSports.com. Um, he's won several submission of the year, submission of the uh, month awards. In 2017, he won Fighter of the Year again, ESPY, and pretty much every other big you know report out there, Bleacher Report. Everybody, he um, that was the same year also where he got um, he got submission of the year, and some people was calling it submission of the decade, where you know he he tossed. Uh, you know, Ray Borg in the air and grabbed his arm and basically threw a submission in before it was over. Uh, if you haven't seen that fight, got to go watch it. It was spectacular. Um, as far as titles, he's won the UFC uh, flyweight title. He was the inaugural champion, which they had a tournament for anybody that wasn't around or watching during that time. It was like a four man, I think four or six man tournament when they first brought that weight class in. He won the tournament and then went on to win, uh, you know, to defend that title uh, 11 times. Um, Other uh, notable things, um, most consecutive wins in the flyweight division at 13, uh, most flyweight title fights at 13, most wins in flyweight title fights at 12. Uh, I mentioned the consecutive defenses. um, And then this is a, a pretty big one, I think. He's the second fighter in the UFC to ever win bonuses in every bonus category. Fight of the night, knockout of the night, performance of the night, and submission of the night awards. He's won them all. So that's a little bit of the background on his accolades and everything like that. So I want to toss it back over to you, Locke, for anything that you want to throw in before I get into, you know, kind of the questions and conversation. The big thing I think that stands out when you just run through that list of accolades is that if that were any other athlete in this sport in America larger than 125 pounds, it would be no (laughs) doubt. It'd be a consensus. The greatest all time, you know, huge star. And instead, in America, we have this weird fascination with large men like that's all we care about you know we don't want to watch smaller fighters and we just don't like watching small fighters uh lightweight is as small as we'll go usually you know we'll fuck Mm -hmm. around at 145 if connor's there but after 155 you start really losing our attention and what's crazy is 155 pounds those guys actually aren't even that small you know a lot of those guys are six foot six one and they cut the weight down and we still barely consider that you know big enough but you know you just run down that list of accolades it's it's ridiculous you know like you said submissions and knockouts you know length of range straight title defenses and in the meantime he is a guy that for sure, most casuals, 
have never even heard of. Right, right. Yeah, no, I would definitely agree. And uh, to your point of the size, uh, yeah, at 155 pounds, a lot of those guys work walk around in that 190 range. Some of those guys even get up to 200 pounds and literally, you know, lose in the beginning of the camp and then cut down maybe another 15, 20 pounds to get to 155 pounds. So you're talking about, like, if you look at, let's say, Justin Gaethje, you know, somebody like that, he's every bit probably 190, 195 walking around. You see him next to Usman, uh, you know, they're part of the same camp and also have, have the same management. And so they're often in pitches together. In some, a lot of those pitchers, Gaethje looks like the bigger man and he's fighting a weight class down, right? So to your point, it's not like they're really these small men. It's just what they do to step on the scale to make the, the battle as fair as possible. That's the goal. That's the reason why you have weight classes, right? But I think the thing about it in America is we have a, a bigger respect for things that we fear more. You fear a big man that can knock you out with one punch. You don't necessarily fear the 5'3 guy that, you know, is well-rounded with everything that's going to bounce around you and hit you, you know, 635 times. <laughs> um, One more thing I, I think we wanted to talk about is we talked about all the all the wins, and I think he's one of those guys, when you look at his, his record, uh, his losses, even his losses, aren't terrible losses. Um, you know, his first loss, that Brad Pickett loss. Brad Pickett, he's one of those guys where if you look at his record, you would think he's not a good fighter. But that's like looking at the Diaz brothers or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Jorge Masvidal and saying, oh, they're not any good. Randy Couture, they're not any good. Look at the record, you know. I think he's a guy that's been around a long time. And that loss, even in a decision, like Pickett was well into his career, had like 20-something, was pushing, you know, close yeah. to 30 fights. DJ was young in his career. Like, even his losses are fights that you almost got to give it to him. Yeah, no, I, I definitely would agree. And, you know, that was one of the reasons why, of course, as we know, too, although Pickett's not a big man himself, but that was one of the reasons why everybody was so excited when that 125 division came. When I say everybody, not regular people, as we talked about, they they, they don't they don't like the small guys, right? But, I mean, like, you know, people like us, people that really – like the craft, like what's going on, and wanted to see DJ fight against other guys that was more of his size instead of fighting, you know, Cruz and, you know, some of those guys like that. You know, he fought, uh, um, oh, what is my guy's name? Uh, shoot. I'll think of his name later, but, you know. Miguel Torres? It was, yeah, it fought Torres and, you know, so many, so many guys that were just, you know, much, much bigger guys that would, you know, could make 135 cutting down. And for him, 135 probably is like, okay, I'm not going to eat an hour before weigh-in, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, he's not a he's not a big guy. So that 125-pound division was big for him, and we saw what he was able to do in that division, you know. But now that said, let's dive into – 
you know, some of the some of the things, you know, some of the questions I have, you know, surrounding him, you know, one being a, a fallen goat or why he's on this list. And, um, you know, <laughs> as we talked about, really believing that he should be somewhere else. But I want to start off in a different spot than I would usually start off. And uh, I didn't tell you I was going to do this, but. I decided to look at the rankings for both um both flyweight and uh and bantamweight, right? Um because of course right now he's fighting at 135 over in 1 even though that is their flyweight division, which we've talked about before the they're about 10 pounds different from the US. Um he's not ranked on either list at all and I know we're talking about him as a fallen goat but looking at the things that we ran down and understanding that he's still an active fighter um, his losses if we look at he's had two losses um, since his title reign one being the Cejudo fight which I rewatched that fight again today. It's probably my third or fourth time watching it. I think it was one of the worst decisions ever in MMA. <laughs> and after that, he lost to the 135-pound current champion in one, uh, in which he clearly lost, got knocked out. But that was the only definitive loss we can say he's had in like the last 10 years. He's not even ranked on a list of anybody for current top fighters. So I want to get your opinion on that. No, that, that's definitely a, a bit off because I mean, I think the, the Cejudo fight, uh, he won and he did go, he is fighting in Japan now, but now with Cejudo retired and I'm not saying that he couldn't beat Cejudo today. I'm just saying he's not there. DJ could easily easily go back to UFC and clear out the division again. Yes. And not to mention they have Benavidez on that list. A person he's beat twice. One of them was the first round KO. And Benavidez is number five. How is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> That's the question. How is that even possible? It's not. It's not. It's just, uh, it's the, the Japanese hate is what it is. <laughs> well, the reason why, that's the reason why, you know, when you mention marketing, things of that sort, I think it plays a, a big role. I think um, we really just don't, um, there's no respect at all for one here in America. It's It's like once you go over to one, you don't exist anymore, you know, and we see... Other fighters, like we talked about when we were doing the male list uh, pound for pound, and we saw, you know, people pop up on there like McKee, you know, is fighting over in Bellator. You know, we look at the women's list and we'll, we'll see a Kayla, you know, Harrison pop up on there and things of that sort, right? But when it comes to fight, you know, fight promotions over in Asia, all of a sudden you go over there and you disappear as far as the way that America sees. And I find it really weird. Like I said, okay, maybe he's not number one, right. In, in the rankings, 
but you don't have him ranked anywhere in, in either of those divisions. So you're saying there's 20 current fighters in America. <laughs> 20 current fighters between Bantamweight and Flyweight that all would beat DJ? You know, it, it's it's a little bit crazy to me to that, you know, I think we just got to come out with our own list, man. We got to start going to, we got to, you know, put it up on the website, do our own list and get rid of some of these, you know, <laughs> I don't even know what to call these lists. Cause I don't, I don't know how they come up with everything, but that's not logical to me. No, that, that that's a terrible list. I mean, if he's not on the top, if he's not ranked towards the top of your list, then what are you even doing? Because we're talking about there's zero American fighters to maybe one that could beat them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe yeah, one. Exactly. There's there's right. one we could have a discussion on. Yeah, no, um, I agree. I, well, never mind. This is, you're going to ask me this question later, so I'm going to save it. So actually. You can, you can. So I don't do my questions in any certain order. So if you know if it's a question coming, you want to go to it now, let's do it. Well, so I know you always ask who would I want to see him fight or whatever, and I yep. know he still is an active fighter, mm-hmm. but just saying if you know we could put him with anybody right now, I do think it would be fun to watch uh, DJ and Moreno fight. I think that'd that be would a, be a, a fun, fun fight, fight to watch. Yeah, I think that would be a fun, very fun and exciting fight. Um, Moreno has a crazy amount of energy. Um, we know he can take a hard shot from the Figueredo fights, right? Um, he's pretty good with his distance and everything like that. He can get in and out pretty good. I think that would be a great a great chess match, you know? Um, I would absolutely love to see that fight. Uh, I think, you you said, it I think it's out? funny that you said it would be a good chess match. I pictured it more mm-hmm. like... Like the cartoons, where it's just like a whirling <laughs> yeah. dervish, with yeah. like, you know, <laughs> the pile of smoke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, that doesn't exist. You're aging yourself. That doesn't exist in cartoons. That's not a anymore. thing no more. <laughs> that's not a thing anymore. <laughs> that, that's from that's from like some racist bugged bunny uh, cartoon from the '60s and shit that I'm still thinking about. That's like that's like you know nowadays if you see something or like. Somebody did a commercial not too long ago where it was like you have the whistle and you have that ball of uh I don't even know what that that thing is like uh it's like a a bush ball that rolls in the dirt and everything and it's like nobody knows what that is anymore you had to watch old time westerns like we did to know what that meant it's like today they're like what is that why is there just a random you know <laughs> a random bush rolling down the street that just mean we're old. But uh, no, I can I, tumbleweed. Yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah, see, see, I knew you would know the name. So um, talk to your old friend. I'll have the answers to your <laughs> old ass questions. So my first question would be: When did you become a DJ fan? Uh, what was the fight that kind of made you a you know a big fan of his? So I don't know if this is the fight that would m- make it. Um, make me a big fan but I guess I was always a fan but it was more of it would almost be a patronizing fandom I was like a big fan of this scrappy little guy that Mm -hmm. hung in there against the bigger guys so originally as a fan it was like that it was almost a little bit disparaging like oh look at this little Mm -hmm. guy he's really scrappy I think when I became a legit fan like this guy's 
a stud was probably after the John Dodson fight. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I say that is because, you know, the the Dominic Cruz, he's a big boy. He's also on the Fallen Goat series himself. He's a great, you know, Mm -hmm. and he's five inches taller. So you don't hold that, you know, loss against him. But then there was that whole, the Ian McCall stuff. Now, I know that Ian McCall at that time was a powerhouse at the weight class, but mm-hmm. I was a, never a, a fan. And when they went draw and then decision, and I think that DJ probably won both fights, but mm-hmm. it just wasn't that impressive. I was still kind of like, eh. And then same thing, split split decision for Benavidez. So that whole time... It was kind of teetering on, is this division even going to, you know, I don't know if I dig this. There's no, you know, uh, there's no clear cut winners. These are all pretty close fights. But then like after the Dotson fight, the first mm-hmm. Dotson fight is I think when he started to really turn it on as an elite level fighter. Yeah, no. <clears throat> yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I became a fan of his um, actually when he fought Miguel Torres. Most of his early WEC fights, and I've mentioned this for a few things before, um, a lot of fighters I'll end up finding out kind of after the fact, and I'll go back and watch their stuff. And so a lot of his early WEC fights, I really wasn't watching him. And in, in, in the early WEC days for, you know, a lot of those smaller guys, it was... Uh, Miguel Torres, it was, uh, you know, the California kid, it was um, uh, uh, Mike Thomas Brown, a lot of those guys were kind of the big names in those smaller weight classes like that, and uh, so DJ really didn't hit my radar until he fought Miguel Torres, and then I kind of watched some of his older fights, and and uh, I was excited when he, you know, when they finally rolled over into the UFC and everything like that. Um, of course, it wasn't it wasn't a lot of new blood because that was one of the divisions that um, wasn't in the UFC. It literally came over from the WEC, whereas you have some other divisions where they kind of got, you know, merged in. There were already champions and, you know, whatnot like uh, 55, right? I remember, uh, you know, when 55 came over and I was really excited because I wanted to see how Bindo would do. And I felt like he was uh, primed to win the title, which he did. He couldn't hold it for very long, but hey, hey, he got it, (laughs) right? So um, I became a DJ fan then. And then, like you said, um, once 125 came, I thought it was going to be a big spark. But one of the big, arguments early on as soon as it happened was okay this is great but nobody's going to get knocked out we're just going to see you know this these banging fights and as you said we're going to see a lot of close decisions and things of that sort because these guys are so quick and they're hitting each other and everything like that and then next thing you know out of nowhere dj was submitting guys and knocking guys out and doing just spectacular stuff and i think that's what you know, shot his stock way up in the air. Any other thoughts on that? No. Um, I think you always put a lot more stock into the Miguel, Miguel Torres fights than anybody else does, <laughs> but I know that was your guy. Um, yeah. 
I've never seen a fighter go from sugar to shit faster than Miguel Torres, man. Yeah, I think what it was, um, Miguel Torres was one of those guys that was way too early, I think. So, like, I started watching him, man, a long time ago. And, you know, he was the man in the WEC for a long time, but he was known as one of those guys. You don't see that as much nowadays because everybody everybody's more professional and really takes this as a serious career and a money maker. But back in the day, a lot of those guys were just regular fighters that would fight on the street or whatever else and had an opportunity to make some money and fight and not get arrested and everything like that. Like your tank Abbott's and you know, so many of those guys and Miguel Torres was one of those guys. And very early on, at least the story has it, he would do a lot of street fight type deals and fight much, much bigger guys because of his skill level, right? Um, Now, this is even before he was the name that he became in the WEC, but even if you can beat some of those big guys, that damage takes its toll. And, you know, you only got so many of those types of fights. And even as you look at him toward the end of those WEC days, if you look at his face, it was very worn. You can tell he had been in some battles, some brawls, things of that sort. And I think right as the sport, especially for the little guys, were taken off, he had taken way too much damage in his career, and I think it was just a downhill from there, you know? That that makes sense. I mean, doing... 80s Jean-Claude Van Damme movie Kumite tournaments will take some years off your career for sure. I guess that wasn't the Kumite. That would have been more like uh, Lionheart, you know, where like one fights in a pool and the next one's in a garage and shit. Yeah, I, listen, I loved all those Jean-Claude Van Damme fights. You couldn't tell me he, he wouldn't beat every single person in the whole world. I thought he was the greatest fighter ever. Exactly. (laughs) So one of the things that I think um, DJ was probably most known for um, was his footwork and stamina. And when you look at his footwork, and and it was one of the few things when I I rewatched the Henry Cejudo fight, the commentary on that was so biased. It was ridiculous. We need to rewatch that together one of these days. (laughs) But the commentary on that was so biased and something that we've touched on before, especially with DC. Anytime that there's a wrestler against somebody else and that wrestler does anything, DC is going to take that thing to the next level of height. But one of the few things that they actually did give DJ credit for in that fight was his footwork. And how good he was able to always move in, move out, get out of position, strike in position, not be there when it's time to hit you. Do you know of any other fighters at any weight class that you can think of that kind of fits in that realm of maybe not even better than him, but just that footwork where it's just on a different level? Or do you feel like his footwork is just kind of, you know, out of here compared to everybody else's? Well, I mean, I think the only other people that really come close would have to be, what, like Dominic Cruz or TJ Dillashaw would be the other guys that can are the footwork guys. And I think they also 
bring like a, a variation where they add the wrestling threat legitimately. So I think those three are all very similar styles in, in that, that they have footwork and all around skill set. But I would put DJ at the top of pretty much most of the skill sets. Um, I think he's the best all around fighter ever. You know, you got other yeah. people, you know, John Jones is undefeated. Anderson Silva mm-hmm. was amazing. But when you look at all around skill set, like yeah. nobody's better all around fighter than Demetrius Johnson. When, like you said, you're looking at striking, stand up, wrestling, uh, gas tank, footwork. Like most people don't bring that to the table. You can pick like two or three of those and that'll win you a title, you know, but having all of them, it's it's just really, it's really hard to do. Yeah, I agree. And that Dillashaw fight is one of the fights I really wanted to see that never happened. The funny thing is I actually wanted to see that fight at 135. I don't think that um, the size difference, I think D- Dillashaw is like maybe five, 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 six. I don't think it's that big of a difference size wise. Um, as compared to, you know, when he was fighting the cruises and the guys more in that five eight five nine height range, um, and the reason why I wanted to see that fight at one thirty five, one I never felt like um, Dillashaw would be able to make one twenty five, and we saw how how that went when he did it later, but two um, DJ was still really really good at one thirty five, and um, you know, it just seemed like those much, much taller guys gave him a problem uh, at, you know, at 135. So I really wanted to see that fight. And that was one of the few that never got a chance to see. And of course, you know, that the conversations were happening. Had he beat Cejudo a second time, who knows? Maybe we would have uh, been able to see that fight. But that was one I feel like, you know, got away. We got to put that in the category of like, you know, Ferg and Khabib or like, you know, some of those fights that was supposed to happen and it just did not happen. What's your thoughts on that one? Yeah, I'd definitely love to see the Dillashaw fight. And I, and I think it's, it's weird. It's one of those styles make fights thing where I think DJ beats Dillashaw, mm-hmm. but I don't know that if DJ would ever beat Cruz, but mm, I still yeah. think, Dillashaw could beat Cruz. We've seen it. So it's it's a weird trifecta of styles making fights. But I, I think the thing with Cruz is, like you said, DJ really has an issue. Not, not that he has an issue, but he's just so much taller. I mean, we're talking about five inches taller, right? That's right. like Connor fighting, like, style bender or some shit. It's a significant difference, you know? And... I just think that that's too tough. It's it's a lot to overcome because a lot of times you would kind of fight something like that with maybe some overhand rights or something. And the one fault in DJ's game is he doesn't have a ton of pop. You know, he mm-hmm. doesn't have that dynamite yeah. in his hand knockout power. I'm not saying he can't knock you out. He doesn't have the Tito pillow hands, but, yeah. you know, he's not a super power puncher. Yeah, no, I definitely would agree there. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about his upcoming fight. Um, 
especially because, as we know, he's not on any list anywhere anyway. <laughs> he's is about he still to... fighting? Is that is he a <laughs> exactly like he doesn't fight anymore? Uh, but um, you know, he has that that mixed rules fight coming up. It's going to be closer to like a Muay Thai fight um, that he's going to be doing over in one. And you know, listen, people need to put some respect on one. That is a great promotion over there. Inside of the promotion, they have MMA fighters and champions. They have Muay Thai fighters and champions. And they have kickboxing titles titles and champions. And it's literally the Muay Thai and the kickboxing. Muay Thai is Muay Thai rules. And kickboxing is kickboxing rules. And you can float between those. And you can either even be a double champion. Not in two different weight classes. But basically in two different sports in the same promotion. That's phenomenal. But he's going after that title now since he didn't win the MMA title. Uh, I believe they're putting the title on the line. And uh, Rotang, I think he, I believe he's the Muay Thai champion. I'll have to double check. I think it's the Muay Thai champion uh, for one. But um, this is a big test. Um, I don't like this fight. I think I mentioned to you before. It's another guy. I mean... He's not a small guy, and he's like, you know, like Thailand, raised in Thailand type Muay Thai fighter. Like that type of, you know, moving forward, being able to take some punishment, willing to, you know, throw to throw one to get one. One shot knockout power type of guy. And now DJ won't even have any takedowns if he did get in trouble to go ahead and, and take the guy down. Now, I don't know the complete rules of this. I heard it was going to be, you know, they're going to mix a few things in, but I don't like this fight. But now that it's happening, <laughs> what are your thoughts on it? And, and and win or lose, how do you think it affects his legacy further? Well, I don't think this fight affects his legacy at all. And I know I've been hard on DJ for, you know, his loss over there and, all that, but I think this fight isn't a big deal. It's like I said with um, Stylebender losing to Jan Blahovich. I don't, I don't want to take too much away from guys from taking chances. Like I'm, I'm hard on Connor for his MMA performance as of late, but I'm not hard on him for trying to box Floyd and losing. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? You took a chance. You lost that fight. Of course, you're going to lose that right. fight. I don't want to hold that too much against your legacy. I appreciate the shot. You know, it's like that that scene from the movie Troy where the guy says, "I would never want to fight him," and he says, "And that's why no one will ever know your name. <laughs> You'll be a nobody." <laughs> yeah, you know. So it's like that. So this this one, I don't think means much. Now, I don't know what the rule set is, but I thought it said that he was. Uh, what I was looking at here, it's going to be two rounds of Muay Thai rules and two rounds of MMA rules. Is that it? That might be it. Like I said, I knew it was a mixed rules. I hadn't seen officially what the rules were going to be because it was kind of talked about before and I didn't look it up. But um, that makes sense. I'll, I'll go with that. You know, like I said, this guy is a big guy. So hopefully we can do the Muay Thai rounds first get them tired <laughs> and then, then let DJ kind of come on and bring it on when we get to the, you know, MMA part. But, um, 
It's going to yeah. be rounds one and three are Muay Thai, and two and four are MMA. I'll take that. I'll take that. The Muay Thai fighters usually start a little bit slow, so maybe round one won't be that bad. Then DJ can come in and do some damage in round two, get him a little tired. I'll take that. I'll take that. I still don't like the, the size matchup. One has some big 135ers, man. Those guys are huge. Not just like height-wise, but like they're really like, you know, um, like thick, you know, structured dudes. Like, yeah, it's it's he need to go drop down a weight class, in my opinion. I was gonna say they have a twenty-five division, and he chooses yeah. to fight at one thirty-five, and that's the only reason when you always start throwing out that excuse for the knockout mm-hmm. loss of the size difference. I would agree. Except that is his chosen weight class, and that is where he had the success. So you can't. It's like when you go into a fight injured. You either fight or you pull out, but you can't fight and then lose and then say, "Well, you know, I was hurt." Like you know, yeah, you're fighting at that division and you lose. It's a loss in your division. It is what it is. Yeah, I agree. But to clarify, <laughs> it's never excuse. I always say it's a legitimate loss. He lost. He got knocked out. It's never excuse. But when we're talking about certain things and comparing, going back to something you just mentioned a minute ago, I'm always going to give you a, 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 a lead or a hedge when you go up or take that chance to fight the much bigger person, especially when you've shown that type of person do it. It's, it's one of the you know things, if we go back and look at the heyday of a GSP and an Anderson Silva, one of the reasons why GSP did get flack from a lot of people. He was one of the few long reigning champions that would never move up and fight anybody in a higher weight class, right? Why, why, why do we not get a chance to see you against a much bigger opponent, right? So when the guys are willing to go up and do that, even if it's not the champion, I'm going to give you accolades, especially when it's not just a weight difference, when you're fighting a much bigger guy. Yes, I'm going to give you accolades for that because I I, 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 I appreciate it. And then actually, I'll roll. You can answer that, but then it wasn't really a question, but I'm going to roll into something else. You can kind of merge your comment together because it rolls off of that. Other than BJ Penn, have you ever seen another fighter of championship caliber put themselves in this much danger to go after these challenges that seemingly other people would not do? Of course, we know Anderson Silva moved up and had, I think, three fights or whatever at 205. But as far as guys really putting themselves in danger against dangerous opponents at other weight classes and everything like that, only BJ Penn comes to mind for me. Anybody else you can think of who's put themselves in this kind of danger to literally go after the champions at bigger weight classes? Well, I don't know about champions, but I guess the only other name that kind of comes to mind is Connor. He's a guy that's always game for a challenge at any weight class, anybody. Mm-hmm. I know it's not exactly what you're talking about, but... You know, BJ's always down for a fight. Um, But I don't think DJ is coming from the same place that BJ Penn comes from. 
So I think BJ Penn was always looking for a challenge, so was always trying to push the limit because he's always trying to get bigger and badder and move on to the next better challenge and, you know, fight anybody. I don't know that that's what DJ's going for, and maybe he is. Um, I, I just feel like, and I think it's a little bit dangerous, that DJ's a board fighter. So I think that he's cleared out his division and he's been so dominant for so long that he's just getting bored and looking for other things. And I think that's a little bit different. And I think, you know, sometimes if you're a bored fighter and you have other streams of income, that's kind of fucked up. Like Floyd Mayweather's been a bored fighter for a long time, but he still has that one way to get the bag and it's boxing. Mm -hmm. So he, Mm -hmm. he sticks with that, you know, DJ, as well as he's doing in MMA, and I'm sure they take care of him in Japan too, but just being the the smaller guy and a guy that's never been marketed well, his his out-of-the-cage stuff probably makes him just as much money, if not more, as his in-cage stuff at this point. And when you're bored on top of having other streams of income, I think at some point that's when it leads to you know some of these knockout losses. And it just makes me nervous that you take this Rod Tang challenge and i'm not saying that you lose and it damages your legacy i'm saying you lose and you get kicked in the head by this giant dude and the career is never quite back on track yeah no yeah i definitely feel that i will say this though floyd um floyd is a floyd is a very underestimated businessman i don't think he ever has to take a fight i think he fights because he looks at them as quick and easy paydays. It's not like he's going back out there and fighting Canelo, right? <laughs> so, you know, and he mentioned this before. He's like, okay, if somebody's going to pay me $100 million for, you know, a few minutes to go fight this guy that's not even a boxer, why wouldn't I take that $100 million? $100 million why would I not take it? No matter how good business is doing, right? Um particularly if you think that you still can win that fight and get out of there without damage. And that's what his whole career was based on. But it's got a lot of businesses, including a, a, a gentleman's club that does very, very well. Um, but he owns a lot of stuff. And as far as DJ, yeah, I, I'm not sure what it is. Um, I can, that was actually one of my questions was what's the reason why you think he's continuously testing himself. But, um, yeah, I definitely think that early on it was probably closer to BJ Penn. Um, but, you know, he's, I mean, uh, what is, he's like 35 fights in now. You know, I don't even think BJ Penn, what, he had, what, maybe 25 fights his whole career? I don't, I'm not sure how many. I don't think he had 35 fights. Um, but, um, so I think things change. I, I wouldn't put Connor in the category of these guys. And the reason why I wouldn't put Connor in that category, Connor cherry picks. It's very different when you can cherry pick everything and when certain things are given to you. Like even now, he's on a two fight losing streak, and Dana's talking about him coming back and possibly fighting for a title for his next fight, right? Um, he he's because he's a moneymaker. He pretty much get to pick whatever he wants. And the, I don't think he's picking the most dangerous fights, right? If we look at, we we take 145 out of the picture. 
he did what he was supposed to do at 145. He moved up the ladder, he fought the champion, and he beat him. But let's look at everything after that championship fight, right? Okay, after that, he goes up and fights a Nate that's barely training. They fought at a higher weight class because Nate wasn't trained and wasn't going to be able to make 145. And he always felt like Nate was a punching bag, which we know Nate get hit a lot. He gets hit a lot, okay? He ends up losing that fight. He comes back, he fights Nate again, right? Then he leaves, and he goes down to 55. Doesn't have to fight anybody at 55 or move up any rankings. He goes straight to the champion, another cherry-picked guy that, I mean, I, I don't think anybody had, anybody that was putting money down was putting their money down on Eddie Alvarez in that fight. He's another very hittable guy, has always been very hittable, right? Well, but the, the first Nate Diaz fight was supposed to be a 155 title fight, right? I don't think it was a title fight. I think it was, and they, and then it was RDA, right? That, and then he got hurt, and then Nate Diaz So they, he was in. supposed to fight RDA. Yeah, you're right. That might that might have happened. Yeah, that might have been what it was. So that's but why he still got then, the title shot at 55 is because, you know, he was supposed to be fighting the 155. He took the fight on short notice, fought at 170. But lost. even then, it's still a straight shot, right? I get it's it. A straight I'm shot not, to I'm the not, title. Yeah. Hey, look, we could we could bash <laughs> Connor. I'm down for that. No, no, I'm no. Just, I'm just saying. I'm just laying it out. I'm, I, I'm the only reason why I'm doing that because I want to lay out the difference that I think a BJ Penn or a DJ that's really out there trying to challenge themselves for whatever reason versus somebody that's kind of handpicking everything and being chosen for, you know, certain, you know, certain fights. Khabib fight, that was a legitimate big challenge. And that was, you know, two years after his fight, he had went off and fought Mayweather and everything like that. That was a big challenge. Cerrone, yeah. Portier, yeah, this was, you know, he was about to fight a guy that he had already beaten before, right? We didn't know that these last two Portier fights was going to turn out the way that they did. I actually didn't even give Portier a chance in that in that second Portier fight, right? So, you know, I don't think that he's going out there in the, this world really going out and seeking and trying to beat the, you know, most dangerous guy and, you know, jumping up to really go after these guys. I think it's, to me, it's like when GSP decided all of a sudden he was finally ready to go up to 185 and fight for the title against some one-eyed Bisbee, right? All the, all the people he could have fought at 185. Well, as soon as you said cherry pick of fighters, I, I was thinking nobody has cherry picked the fighters more than GSP. But it's really just that one fight. I mean, he kind of took on all he took on all comers on one, uh, 170. He did cherry pick that fight. But I don't I see that as just kind of uh the smart business move. It was a smart move. If you were going to do it, you, you know, GSP his legacy means a lot to him as a fighter mm-hmm. and you got to pick and choose your money opportunities. He doesn't want to go out there and get the shit beat out of him by a way bigger, stronger guy, which Bisbing also is, but he has the skill level to compensate for it. And he has a strength. It's somewhere that Bisbing had a weakness. So 
Yeah, and this is the thing. I don't knock biz. I, I mean, I don't knock GSP for that. But my point is, you don't get the same accolades as a person that really goes up there and fights a dominant fighter there, right? Like a, you know, the the chant, the the real champion there, or especially to go through the division and fight a few guys and actually go build up to the championship. When guys do stuff like that. I'm going to put you at a higher caliber. So when I look at DJ, he didn't go over to one and they were like, oh, you're the UFC champion. You get a championship fight. He had to win a tournament. He had became a tournament champion. And then the way that they have it over there, the tournament champion then gets to fight the champion. So it's not like he walked through the door was like, hey, I'm DJ. Give me this title shot. And now you got a chance to just beat the top guy. So that the guy that does that to me, I'm always going to hold at a higher rank. You know, but if if you're trying to say that DJ has took a tougher career path than Connor and GSP, like, yes, (laughs) you're preaching to the choir, man. I don't even know what the we're arguing about. I just said he was the only other one I could think of, man. I was just trying to think of people that have bounced around and took a bunch of weird fights. It wasn't an argument, but I had to say that, listen, that I just can't put him in that category. Um, but now the biggest thing that I want to talk about, what about Stylebender? I don't think Stylebender is quite there because he's had the one fight, right? Well, but he's, he's boxed, he's kicked boxed. Then he's went to MMA. Yeah, that's different. Yes. Yes. If we, and then now in MMA, that, yes. he's trying to go up a division. Yes. So he's just a guy that's yes. always looked for the next challenge. Yes. No, I agree. If we're talking about that, I definitely agree. Um, you know, with him, I really didn't even factor when you asked me the question, I didn't factor in his kickboxing background, which I think he had more kickboxing fights than he's got MMA fights right now. Um, but I'll tell you what on him and and I don't want to get too far away from asking this last question, but I really want to see, and I forget the guy's name, the guy that knocked him out in, in kickboxing that the UFC, um, signed. Um, I really want to see him do good. And, you know, if Izzy's able to keep that title going and all of a sudden this guy can run off a string of wins, I mean, Izzy needs some new blood in that 185 division, uh, which, of course, you know, I sent you a post, which I won't dive into now of somebody talking about what Izzy had to do to, to be a goat and who he had to be. And it was the worst list I've ever seen in my life. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, but uh, what are you going to find the guy? Trash. What was that? The whole article was trash. It was. I agree. <laughs> but yeah, I would love to see that guy do good. And you're talking about a story buildup. The guy that, you know, he didn't just beat Izzy. He knocked him out. That's a story buildup. So Alex Perea. Yeah. Yep. 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 Him. Piera? So and he's a sure big dude it. too. Like uh, as I know we got a height. lot of Brazilian fans too, and I just butchering their names and shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, we're gonna be in trouble for I butcher a name every episode. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he he has height like Izzy too. I forget. I think he's about right around Izzy's height. Six four one eighty five. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So they match up really well, and I would love to see kind of um, that match up now in the MMA world. See style bender shoot a double A. Hey, hey, you gotta win however you can win. 
<laughs> he's gonna start trading with Usman like uh like uh like uh Engano did. Hey, Usman's gonna have all the Africans wrestling. Next thing you know, it's gonna, it's gonna be trouble. Uh, but yeah, um, the last um, the last thing I wanted to get into was that DJ Cejudo fight, in particular part two. Um, as I mentioned, I rewatched that fight. I really want to just take this off of DJ's loss. I know it shows as a split decision loss, but I've never seen a fight before in MMA where the guy that has the title gets hit clean maybe once in the whole fight, has not a mark or scratch on him, outstrikes the guy as far as numbers, lands the most significant strikes, the harder strikes, everything about it he won with the exception of basically two takedowns in the fight. And only one takedown in the whole fight was he able to hold DJ there for more than a couple seconds? And that was enough to win the title. Take the title from a man. Well, when when I look at the takedowns on it, so the control time is way off. So Henry Cejudo had four and a half minutes of control time. Demetrius had 36 seconds. But DJ was one for two on takedown attempts. Henry Cejudo was three out of 11. So some people see that as three takedowns. I see that as eight stuffed takedowns. Well, this is what's funny about it. I don't know why they have DJ with three. I think he only actually tried to take him down once. But to your point on the Cejudo side was... No, DJ is one out of two. So he's... Oh, one out of two. He... Okay, two. Yeah, yeah. I just said out of three. My bad. Yeah. But um, and then on Cejudo's side, to your point... Yeah, I mean, the thing that was significant about it to me is that the three takedowns wasn't even, it wasn't anything that should have changed the fight, other than one of them, because as we've talked about before, and you know, I just don't understand how judging is, if I take you down, and you pop right back up, and that whole round you've been getting tagged and pieced up, how does that round all of a sudden go to you? A takedown is worth that much. They score takedowns 10 times more than they score leg kicks. And if you remember in that fight, that was the first fight where before everybody knew about the perennial, you know, nerve leg kick, before everybody knew about that, that was the fight that really put it on the map where DJ got him with that maybe in the first minute of the first round and his foot kept folded under him, right? And DJ tore his legs up that whole fight, right? I mean, just tore him to pieces. That to me was way more significant, even if we just look at that versus the takedowns, right? Well, and we you're can... talking about, go ahead. I'm sorry. I... No, go ahead. I feel like we can go all the way back to like Machida versus Hua with that though. For some reason... When it comes to decisions, we don't give these leg kicks the run that they deserve. I mean, mm-hmm. we've seen leg kicks stop fights, mm-hmm. but for some reason we forget about them. Like when it comes to decisions, like and it's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, and I think uh, I think DC really sold that fight. Um, he probably was screaming on the um, 
you know him and uh him and uh uh, uh Rogan going to be the loudest ones in the arena and he probably was screaming to the judges in a bullhorn <laughs> like and this is what's funny at at one point John Anik was like uh was like uh uh you know based on XYZ Sahudo only has two takedowns, which I think is, you know, great for DJ. And then DC immediately jumped in and he was like, no, no, no. You know, even those such and such, those are takedowns. You know, I'm a wrestling coach. Those are takedowns. If you take a guy down, even if he roll and get right back up, that is a takedown. And I'm like, you know, that was nothing significant (laughs) in this fight. Right. Well, and that's a terrible analogy because this isn't a wrestling match. So he is, correct as a wrestling coach and that applies in a wrestling match because you're trying to score points so that takedown yes. is it counts you know hit those takedowns there's guys that are really good that'll you know hit takedowns and if they're not feeling too comfortable they'll let you back up and take you back down again and try and get reset in a different position just because it's nothing like that this is not wrestling it's mma and to me the takedown means nothing without what you did with it i mean not that it means nothing it's something but right. to me, it's about the control afterwards. And then even still with control, do you advance your position? Do you put some ground and pound on them? I'm, there's stuff you could do with a takedown that makes it very valuable. But I agree. And at that point in time, that's when I give you the round. That's when you're a Khabib, right? Mm-hmm. When Khabib takes you down, there's no doubt whether Khabib won that round or not. He's going to take you down. He's going to hold one of your arms behind your back. So you can't defend yourself. He's going to take his other arm and he's going to punch you in the face over and over again and talk to you. You know that Khabib won that round, right? So Hudo pretty much did no damage. You know, it was, um, yeah, I just don't get it. It was, like I said, especially when you're talking about, and maybe this is my old school boxing mentality. I feel like you should have to take the tap, the title from the title holder, which means you should do more, but you definitely shouldn't be able to win the title doing less. That's what was so crazy about it to me. Well, and when you look at the stand up, like significant strikes, Sohudo threw more and landed barely half as much. Mm-hmm. That's not great. You know, like I said, mm-hmm. 11 stuffed uh eight stuffed tech takedowns mm-hmm. that's that's a lot of output and that's a lot of activity but that's you losing a lot of that yeah if you throw in a ton of punches and you're not landing anything that's not you winning just because you're throwing punches it's it's activity and i appreciate that but i think some judges confuse activity with controlling the fight or ring control or something like that and just yeah. You can be a fighter that's defending and not putting as high output. But if this guy's, he finished the fight at 34%, which isn't the worst I've seen. But when DJ's at 60%, Mm -hmm. come on. Yeah, I think think that the problem is I think judges should be trained. I think they should be trained literally to be judges. And I don't think there's any training, especially for MMA, to be judges, you know? possibly even have them have a stipulation where you have to ref for a certain amount of time to be a judge. You have to do some training to be a judge, do some different things to help 
Instead, these judges are usually really old people that pretty much doesn't know anything about the sport. They probably can't even see that well. And they're looking through this cage and they have no idea what they're looking at. And every time the crowd goes crazy, that's a score. Every mm-hmm. time they see, you know, uh, DC or Rogan jump up or get excited, that's a score. Because they don't understand what they're looking at, you know. Well, and I think that there could be some overcompensation where you have so many of these people that work at the athletic commissions as boxing coaches mm-hmm. and, or boxing judges. And they're used to watching boxing and then they come to MMA and then everybody says, oh, well, you don't know the sport. You're a boxing judge. So then they overcompensate and then overvalue these takedowns because they don't understand the grappling. But they know that it's grappling and they think it means something because they don't understand advancing a position or something like that. Makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. So is there a debate? Is DJ the best flyweight of all time. Can we say that or is there a debate? Oh, absolutely. I think by leagues. Absolutely. No, no question there. And, um, you know, this one always comes up. What is your favorite DJ fight? The, I was waiting. I thought you weren't going to ask it, man. So (laughs) I was going back and forth and the Ray Borg is, is amazing. You know what I yes. mean? That's a great submission, yes. and it's hard to not go with that one. But I'm not. So I'm going with the – I don't know. I've heard it – Is it? I heard it pronounced Wilson Hayes. Is yeah, it, I've heard it Hayes, Rays. I, yeah, I don't know because yeah. it, it – yeah, I don't know. That's just – well, Either the way, short. that's the one I'm going to go with because finishing a guy with one second left in a fight that you were easily winning anyways is one of the craziest things I've ever seen in MMA. And I really love that because even though he always put on strong performances, DJ would have a kind of reputation as not a finisher. Um, and I think a lot of it's based on that early, the McCall and Benavidez. And then in the mm-hmm. meantime, he's submitting guys and finishing guys left and right. And he's just stuck with this, this label that doesn't fit anymore. But yeah, I think to finish a guy with one second left in a fight is amazing. And like you said earlier, he also got the submission of the year mm-hmm. for that. And, uh, and performance of the night. So that was like all around. Probably, I felt like my favorite DJ moment. Even better than the throw-in, fly-in armbar. See, basically what's going on right now is I really don't like you much because I definitely was going with Ray Borg, but you made a very compelling argument there. (laughs) 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 Because I remember when that happened too, it was so big because, you know, everybody thought it was going to decision and nobody finishes a fight that late. People don't even try to finish a fight that late, especially when you've been dominant the whole fight, you're pretty much going to just ride that into, you know, the win column. So I think that one was, you know, absolutely huge. Um, I want to sum up something that came up at the very beginning, and then I'll let you throw in anything you got, and then we'll go ahead and uh, and wrap this up. But at the very beginning, one of the things that I mentioned was 
why DJ is even on this list of fallen goats. And part of that, a big part of that, why he's on this list is because of, in my opinion, the lack of respect that he gets for what he's done, his resume, his accolades, everything like that. And as we mentioned, once he went over to, uh, you know, um, over to one, he's literally not even recognized anymore. Forget about the GOAT list or pound for pound list or anything like that. He's literally not even ranked on any flyweight or bantamweight list. And so I think in many people's eyes, he's a fallen GOAT. He doesn't even get brought up in the GOAT conversation anymore. Whereas if you look at the numbers, the record, everything like that, he holds almost every record in the UFC when it comes to champions. And the UFC is the premier league. So for him not to get talked about anymore, in my opinion, that's crazy. But at least you can count on Fat Boy MMA. We'll keep his legacy alive. <laughs> so, like, I wanted to pass it over to you for anything anything else you had, anything you wanted to throw in. Other than that, we'll wrap it up. Yeah, the last thing I want to finish on is that Cejudo loss. We touched on how it was a bad call, but this is something that's come up a lot in these fallen goats. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always a bad decision or a bad call somewhere along the line that kind of changes the trajectory. So, I mean, DJ wins that fight. He's got now two wins against Cejudo. What else do you do in the division? Everything probably plays itself out a little bit different. And who right. even knows what kind of situation we're in? You know, you know what I mean. Or if one twenty five is even there, because remember they were talking about getting rid of it. Yeah, they could have just folded it. So, um, I don't know how that changes his legacy. I mean, at the end of the day, maybe he still just runs into uh, a giant Adriano Moraes, then drops him. Maybe it is what it is, but maybe he's not even fighting no more if that doesn't happen. Maybe he just you know rides off into the sunset. So. It just, it seems like the one of the patterns with these fallen goats is there's always like a bad decision or a, a one fight somewhere in the road that throws the whole fucking thing in the whack. Yeah, and I, I think that has to do with the energy. So much is energy. It's the same reason why when you look indestructible, you touch people when they fall out. As, so, as soon as somebody knocks you out and that little pixie dust is worn up off of you, other alphas that's been waiting on you to fall see blood right Mm -hmm. and just that little inch of whatever you had that diminished some is enough for that next person to get over on you or it creates enough doubt a, a single smidgen of doubt in your head about something and that's enough and it's the reason why sometimes we'll see a person look completely untouchable have a bad loss and that bad loss can be in terms of actually getting beat up bad or in terms of a win, a, a loss that should have been a win. And all of a sudden they go down a totally different path. And, you know, I think it's a, I think it's definitely a mental thing, but not just for them, for everybody else. It's hard to solve a, solve a puzzle that's never been solved before. But once you hear it's been solved, even if you didn't see it being solved, it's easier to do. And the greatest example that they always talk about is the four-minute mile. Literally, it was thought to be impossible. 
one person did it. Next thing you know, you got people breaking four minute miles left and right, you know, so. But any last words other than that? Nope, that's it. We're taking him off the fallen goat list and just putting him right back on the goat list. There it is. There it is. Hey, I have to, I, I can't say anymore. Thank you for listening to the Fat Boy MMA podcast. Come back and listen again. That wraps up another Fat Boy MMA podcast. If you have a topic for us, please email us at fatboymma55 at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media by going to links.fatboymma.com. That's links.fatboymma.com. Thank you for listening.